0: You're listening to the Grace Church podcast. For more information, visit www.gracechurchuk.org or visit our Facebook page by searching Grace Church UK. Talk about God saving His people. That is the title of the of the uh, talk today, and um, you'll notice it says His story, His story. God saving His people because it is his story. If you go away with one thing today, then go away with this, that the Bible is all about his story of Jesus saving his people. Okay. So we're going to play a quick game. So if I could have the first... uh... Slide, please. What's that? There's always a smart aleck in the room. (laughs) You're supposed to say honey. Okay, okay, next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. What's that? Blimey, have you been talking to the people in Amesbury or something? Okay, next one. That is Sand on a Maui beach. Next one. What's that? Okay, next one. That is salt. Next one. A leaf, no? Uh, Next one. That is a dragonfly wing. Next one. What's that? Okay, next one. That's Eustace's neck. And there they are, having a good time, Kevin and Simon, having a good time. Okay, next one. So it's hard to grasp what you're, what you're looking at, although some of us are, are better than others. It's hard to grasp what you're looking at when you look really close up. And when we read the Bible, sometimes you can be, you know, you hear the preacher say something like, Oh, you, you, you remember when Gideon went to, and you go, who's that? And you think, I have no idea who that is, where he came from, or what he did. And so sometimes it's good to stand back and get the overall view. That's what we're doing today. I'm going to try and attempt to sum up the Bible in <laughs> 35 minutes. And <laughs> here we go. So, um, but first... To, uh, just to say, this is not an overview of the Bible, it's an overview of the story through the Bible. Okay? And so, some things to say first about, about the Bible. Um, uh, someone once called it Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, but can I suggest that's a bit more than that? And uh, the Bible is the most influential book ever, shaping most of the, mes- of the, of the Western world, and it's the best selling book. Still is. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is, is God-breathed or inspired. It's literally breathed out by God. But he didn't write it. It was written by 40 different authors over a, a period of about 1,500 years. And it's not a book. It's a library. It's 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New and the word "holy" is called a holy Bible. The word "holy" means "special or sacred. So the Old Testament focuses on the nation of Israel, and the New Testament focuses on the hero, Jesus Christ. I hope that's not me. But it's also made up is that still working? It's also made up of history books, and law books, song books, and poetry books, prophecy books, and even letters that people sent. So as we go through, try to see the parallels with the story of the Bible with your own life. Okay. It really is about his story. God saving his people. So, as we go through, I've divided it up into four parts. Part one, we're going to focus on the theme of creation, but we're going to move move the themes and stay in part one, but, but you'll see why. So, here we go. God creates the world. Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And the Bible deliberately starts with God because he was there from the beginning. He wasn't created he wasn't made. He is the creator. He made time itself. He made the universe. And this world. And then the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. And mankind was made in the form of Adam and Eve. And they were made perfect. In Genesis 1, 27, it says... It says, God said, let us make man in our image. Later on, in verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. And then it says in verse 31, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. So mankind was very good, mankind was blessed, and because we were made in his image, we were in relationship with God. We were at one with God or in his presence. And you can't get better than that. Ever since, we've been trying to get back to that stage. Trying to get back to that place. So then we move on to the theme of the fall. But we stay in part one. On the theme of the fall, sin enters the world in Genesis 3. And they could eat of any tree, including the tree of life, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil comes and tempts, tempts Adam and Eve. But remember, we were already very good, we were blessed, and we were in relationship with God. And the devil tempts them with something that they didn't need. They already had everything they needed. But he confused them and they disobeyed God. They did eat of the tree. And so what happened was they lost their relationship. So a partition came in place. And a life of hardship and suffering came in. Because of... um, Which resulted in death, sorry. And so the penalty came in. And instead of being very good... We're now dirty and polluted with sin. So pollution came in. So there's a partition, a penalty, and pollution. And the partition created a need in man for reconciliation. Because we're all longing to be loved by God. And the pollution created a need for justification. Because we hate the thought of being in... And the penalty created a need for glorification because we all want everything to be all right in the end. And then the flood. God starts again with Noah. And because of sin, the world turns ugly and very bad. God sees all the disorder and the chaos and it says something like he feels sorry that he even made it. It's turned that bad. But he chooses to save Noah and his family. And he tells him to build an ark, which is a huge boat, because he wants to save him. And he tells him to get one pair of each animal, and he saves one family and the animals. That was in Genesis 6. Then we go to Genesis 12. And we move to the call of Abraham. In roughly 1,800 BC, God says to a man called Abram, which means exalted father, he says, go from, from the place where he was from, which is Ur of the Chaldeans, which is roughly modern day Iraq. You can see Ur over the other side, just at the bottom there. He calls him... To go to a place I will show you. and He speaks of this promised land and he'll make him and his descendants into a great nation that will bless the whole earth. He tells them to go to a place called Canaan, which is modern day Israel. He changes his name to Abraham, which, is, which means the father of a multitude. Notice that God's plan is to build a relationship with one man Teach that one man and his descendants how to live so that they teach others how to live and introduce his kingdom rule slowly into his creation. But God initiates the rescue plan. Then Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And God changes Jacob's name, which means he cheats, to the name which is Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And Israel, or Jacob, in Genesis 35, has 12 sons by four different women. And it says this, the sons of Leah were Reuben, who was Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebra. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, which is Rachel's servant, are Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These became the 12 tribes of Israel. So on to part two. Enter Joseph. He's one of the sons. One of the tribes. And now we're into Genesis 37. And because Jacob favoured Joseph over his other sons, they were jealous of him. So eventually they sold him to traders. But this was all part of God's bigger plan, because the traders then went to Egypt. But Joseph ended up having a, a terrible kind of life in prison for something he didn't do, but ended up as ruler... Of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. Again, all part of God's bigger plan. But famine came at that time. And so the whole of Israel, which were 70 people, had to move to Egypt. And this was all part of the plan as well. So they went over to see Joseph. Joseph invited them over, and he had food. And so they settled in the land of Egypt, all 70 people. Again, God saves Israel once again. And initially, Israel were treated well, really well. But then what happens is the slavery. In Exodus 1... After, after a period of about 400 to 430 years, that 70 people who made up the family of Israel becomes a small nation inside of Egypt. And because the Pharaoh changed so many times, they forget why Israel were there in the first place. And they've, not, they've certainly not heard of Joseph. And they it says that the Pharaoh was afraid of them. So he decides to put them into slavery and get them to work. And they build many things for the nation of Egypt. And also, Pharaoh was so worried about them kind of growing as a nation that he decides to kill each firstborn son. But at this time, God hears the nation of Israel crying out because they're in slavery. So God raises up a leader called Moses. And as a baby, who was just about to be killed by the Pharaoh, as a baby, his mother, he's from the tribe of Levi, his mother put him into a basket. Hence where we get the word Moses basket from. And the basket floated down the river, but Pharaoh's own daughter finds the basket with the baby inside, wants to keep the baby, and in the greater plan, yet again, of God, she hires his own mother to look after him and raise him. It's just amazing. So as an older man, God calls Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and into the New Promised Land. Moses, by the way, goes on to write the first five books of the Bible. So then we get to the Exodus, which is in the book of Exodus, chapter 7, where we, it talks about the ten plagues. Because because Israel has a problem they're in slavery how do they get out so Israel uh, sorry so Moses goes to the pharaoh and says let my people go and initially he's so resistant it takes 10 plagues to change his mind in the end he says okay go you can go so pharaoh lets them go and by now Israel it's estimated that they with the size of 2.4 million people, including women and children. We have a small nation now who need to leave. And they literally leave overnight. You can see that red line there. That's the line they begin to take on this, on this big, long journey. And then we get to the law... Because God says, right, we've got 2.4 million people. You need to know how to live. Because otherwise you're going to live in chaos and you might start worshipping other gods. So he says, this is how you live. And he introduces the law. And he says, you need to worship me. I'm the only God. Because he is the only God. You don't need any other gods. And Moses receives the new rules on two tablets of stone on Mount Sinai, which is about here on the map. It's a long journey that God takes them on. And God gives instructions for how to live in harmony with each other. There are civil laws, there are ceremonial laws, and there are moral laws. And through the law, God was saying, I care about you. If you imagine... A football match with no rules is chaos. Imagine the streets with no police. It's chaos. So basically, God cares about them, because people tend to think, we hate rules, rules are boring. They spoil life. No, rules are good. They stop chaos. Then we get to the tabernacle which is God's dwelling place, Exodus 26. God promises to dwell with his people by asking them to make a special, holy, and portable dwelling place called a tabernacle, including lots of finely crafted, specially made items that also go in it, some made of gold, Along with that, he tells them to sacrifice animals in order to pay for their sins so that he can dwell with them. Because let's, let's remember, they're still full of sin. So through the tabernacle, God was saying, I am with you. And through the sacrifices, God was saying, I forgive you. So God was saying, through the law, I care about you. Through the tabernacle, I am with you. And through the sacrifices, I I forgive you. And then they move on to the wandering, 40 years of wandering. In Numbers 13, Israel quickly forget what God did for them all those years ago back in Egypt. They start moaning and complaining. Meanwhile, Moses sends out 12 spies to spy this promised land where they're heading over a 40-day trip. And he wants them to bring back a report. And they do that. Two of them said, yeah, it's good. Let's go for it. This is good. Including a man called called Joshua. But the rest of them say, no way. It's It's too big. No, they're giants. We can't do it. And so the nation of Israel believes the ten rather than the two. And they descend into even more moaning And they even want to go back to the slavery where they came from, in Egypt. And so God says, okay, for every day of that trip, 40 days, you're going to have a year wandering around the desert. And so you see that red line goes in a sort of circle. And they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. By the way, that trip to the promised land could have taken 11 days. But they could, they chose the long way. And so a whole, na- a whole generation sorry, <coughs> dies out. And it's the children who eventually go into the promised land. Even Moses dies before he gets into the promised land. And God appoints a new leader. And this time it's one of those 12 that went into the who was a spy, and that's Joshua. He goes in and conquers the land. He goes into the promised land of of Canaan, and they enjoy high times as a nation, this time about 2.5 million people. And they start with the city of Jericho, and they see the walls crumble, because God is going before them. Notice, again, the parallels between the story of the Bible and your own life. When you put God first, he leads you into the promises. But then they have all this land and 12 tribes. They allot to each tribe their own piece of land in Joshua 15. So Israel enjoy this newfound freedom and a way of life. God gives them their own land. If we can have the next, here we go. So that shows you who had what in the nation of Israel. Manasseh had a huge bit in the middle. It does say that they allotted the land to the size of the tribe, which makes sense. If you're a smaller tribe, you've got a bit of smaller land. <laughs> and so that's where they settled. And roughly, in about 1100 BC, we enter the time of judges. People like Samson and Deborah. And again, as they enjoy the high times and the safety of living in their own land, they again forget Who put them there? And they look at the other nations around them and they see them serving other gods. And so they join in with this, serving other gods and worshipping. And they even enter into things like shrine prostitution and even child sacrifice. And so God allows invading armies to have success over Israel. As Israel remembers God, they call out to help. They call out for him to help again because they're being invaded. So God raises up people called judges to deliver them and help them conquer their enemies again. And this cycle happens again and again. It goes rebellion, judgment, saviour in the form of a judge, and peace. And it goes around and around. The last judge in Israel was Samuel. But then the nation of Israel looks again at the other nations around them and they say, They've got kings. We want a king. So Samuel says, Okay, you can have a king. And so they appoint Saul, who was head and shoulders above everyone else. And Saul, he initially starts out well, but then he kind of starts to live his own life and moves away from the leading of God, starts listening to other people instead of of the prophets around him who were God's mouthpiece, and they end up in trouble. Eventually, God then gives them another king in the form of David. But he's a shepherd boy, a young boy who looks after sheep, not who you would immediately go after. In this world. But it does say that he had a heart for God. He, his heart, he was a man after God's own heart. And he leads the nation of Israel to new heights. They beat back their enemies. They conquer new land. And he was from the tribe of Judah. And from his line comes the eventual saviour and Messiah. Jesus Christ But even even David his life goes slightly bad because he becomes an adulterer and then a murderer as he tries to cover up that adultery and there are consequences to that and then his son Solomon takes the throne and now Israel are at the highest of heights. They are successful. They are the superpower around. It says at the time they had so much gold that silver was worthless. And Solomon builds a temple in the city, Jerusalem. This Jerusalem called Zion that was built by his father David in around about 1000 B.C. And Solomon, the wise king, takes Israel to a new height. And he wrote the books called Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon because he was so wise. And he has a son. And his son makes a really bad decision which leads to the kingdom being split in half. There's a divide in the kingdom. And Israel take the northern part of the kingdom and Judah take the southern part of the kingdom. So Judah is made up of two tribes, which is Benjamin and Judah. The rest go north to Israel. But God's line through David stays with Judah. Eventually, leading to Jesus. And so, the nation of it, or, or the, the, the half of Israel, which is, of, it, um, in the, which is the kingdom, uh, uh, the northern kingdom of, uh, of Israel. Sorry. They start to descend into more chaos. First, they start to leave God and His promises. They worship other gods. And what happens now is that God raises up people like prophets <clears throat> who warn of judgment, but also they speak of this Messiah to come. Kind of two main prongs. They warn of judgment and they speak of the Messiah. People like Hosea, Elijah, Amos, they spoke to the northern kingdom. But, and people like Jeremiah and Micah and Obadiah Habakkuk. They speak to the southern kingdom. And then what happens is the northern kingdom just gets overt- overthrown, overtaken, invaded by, by the Assyrians. And it's a long time later, that was in 930 BC. <coughs> But in 597 BC, then the southern kingdom gets taken over by Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon. Ironically, Babylon is where the Chaldeans live. The Chaldeans is where Abraham was called from all those years ago, era of the Chaldeans. And we've got him on the phone now. <laughs> no. And so the temple was burned and destroyed. And the people are taken off into exile. The whole of the southern kingdom has to go to Babylon where they live for 70 years but eventually after 70 years God rescues them because the Persians take over the Babylons and the king of Persia is more open to other religions so he lets them go but that was even part of God's greater plan because They've kind of served their time, if you like, their sort of discipline, and they come. And he allows them to come back to the promised land, and Nehemiah leads the, the kind of uh, he leads the building of of the new walls in Jerusalem. They start to build the capital again. But then we have a period of about four hundred years of silence. The story goes dark, quiet. And then we come on to part four. The theme of redemption starts. Jesus is born. Jesus, who lives a perfect life, who is God with us. He dies the perfect death. He's sacrificed on a cross in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was born to a a virgin. He lived as a carpenter. He was baptised by John the Baptist and he never sinned in his life. He's fully God. He's fully man. He gave his life to die for all of humanity on a Roman cross. Put there by religious people who didn't like him, claiming to be God. And on the cross he said, it is finished. And And when he died he was placed in a tomb. And he was the promised Messiah that Isaiah the prophet spoke about years before. And then comes the resurrection and the ascension. Again, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the Gospels report that Jesus rose from death. And this was seen by over 500 people. And before their eyes, he ascends into heaven. And because he did, we can too. So Jesus deals with mankind's need for reconciliation through his love, which has broken down the partition with God. The need for justification has been dealt with by making us righteous by faith, which cleanses us from the pollution of sin. And the need for glorification has been dealt with by Jesus paying the penalty on the cross for us. Therefore giving us hope until that day comes. Therefore the gospel has three main parts. Faith, hope, and love. Then comes the Holy Spirit. The early church. The book of Acts. The day of Pentecost. And the book of Acts is where The church grows. They start preaching about what Jesus has done. And on the first day, they see 3,000 people saved and added to the church. Because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then, as they see miracles happen and people healed and set free, what follows is persecution. And this man called Saul, who's a a religious Pharisee, starts to persecute the church, and starts to kill Christians, put them in prison, flog them, because they're spreading this propaganda. But one day, Saul was on the way to Damascus, on the way to the synagogues to kill more Christians, and Jesus steps in and shows himself as a blinding light to Saul, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul becomes a Christian. God changes his name to Paul. And then what happens is Peter, we enter the kind of, the theme called, called Gentiles, because the gospel is for the whole world. And through Peter, he meets a man called Cornelius and has an amazing experience with him that can only be God. And he finds out that this gospel, this good news about Jesus being the Messiah, who was prophesied all those years before, is not just for the Jews. He's for everyone, the the Gentiles, everyone in the whole world. And then Paul takes this gospel on to mission trips, three huge mission trips. He begins to embark on three long and dangerous trips, traveling thousands of miles to reach people far and wide, armed with the good news of Jesus. He visits places such as modern day Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Malta, Italy, planting churches and appointing elders. But even he comes into some persecution and he's thrown into prison. But in order to back up his visits, he can't keep going to help these people and these new Christians and new churches, so he writes them letters. And these letters are basically instructions for Christian living. Books like Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians... But not just whole groups of churches, but individuals as well. People like Timothy, where we get the books 1 and 2 Timothy. and gives them instructions in the form of a letter. And then we get to the theme of restoration. And the last book in the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. John's vision. This was written in about 90 AD. The last book of the Bible is where John sees the restoration of everything. God allowed John to see what was on the other side of death. He saw Jesus on his throne and multitudes of people worshipping him. He sees a new heaven, a new earth. No more pain, no more death. No more sickness, no more suffering or anything bad. Only people in paradise for all eternity at one with God. So now we know the end of the story. We can live as citizens of heaven. We can play our part in seeking his kingdom come on earth by reaching people with the same good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Grace Church podcast. For more information, visit www.gracechurchuk.org.